Today we have a really special radio physics because Caroline Boyd, who graduated from Aspen High School in 2013, is here visiting today. She's now a microbiology candidate um, for her PhD at UC Berkeley. Wow, Caroline, you've come a long way. And she's going to tell you about her path to that to that place, starting with our 50th anniversary in 2012. Thank you so much, Patty, for having me here today. Um, as you mentioned, my experience here in 2012 at the Center for Physics was something that really helped project me on the path that I am on now. So growing up in Aspen, I didn't know a lot about what it was like to be in academia. Um, and having the opportunity to come to the Physics Center for a week in the summer and talk to the physicists and hear about their lives and what they do and meet one-on-one -on -one with them and have them give me advice like, hey, you should really look into a research opportunity for undergraduates. I was like, what is that? Okay, <laughs> noted. <laughs> and, you know, when I went to, to college at Colorado College in the Springs, I, I looked for an opportunity to do research and I had no idea what I was doing, but it gave me the courage to go and ask about it and to give it a shot. And here I am now in doing research and I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> You're going to have to fill in some more details than that. Okay. So um, were you interested in physics when you were in high school? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to step back just a little bit before that in middle school, I hated science. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. There were so many holes and things I didn't understand. Everything always felt so confusing and I just, I felt stupid. And then I got to high school and we got to do other types of science. And I started to slowly learn that there was a lot of unknown and kind of how people accepted that and, and then how they pursued identifying what some of those answers were. And so I really, really loved my physics class in, in high school with, um, with Mark, and I, I was sl slowly being like, oh, these are really interesting things, and now I understand, you know, pieces of how the world works. And so it wasn't until later that I liked science, um, but then I got to college and I, I started studying molecular biology, and that was just fascinating to me, to get down to that low level of understanding of how at the smallest scale that you can think of, things work. Okay, of course, it's not like, you know, physics of, of atoms and, and molecules, but it, it's still as, as low as my brain was able to, to manage. So uh, from Colorado College, you went to Berkeley. How did you decide on Berkeley? And what was your, what choices did you have? And um, what advice did you seek to make those choices? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I looked for a research opportunity when I started at Colorado College, and fortunately, I got one very, very early in my first year. And I worked with two professors. I actually worked with a biologist and a physicist, and I did some, some biophysics in undergrad and did that for four years. And then um, my one of my professors said, you really need to go somewhere else. Get another research experience. Make sure that this is something that you like. Just because you like here what we do, just make sure you go out and get some other experiences. So I did a research experience abroad in Sweden, and I really enjoyed the work. Didn't really enjoy the entire lab environment, and it was actually really beneficial to know 
what things I did and didn't like about a lab and how to look for that in the future. And that was something that that second experience really helped me with. And so every year that I was in that, in that lab, the biophysics lab at CC, my professor said, when you go to graduate school, this will be really useful for you. I don't know what graduate school is. Like I was so embarrassed to admit it. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and slowly they they told me and they were like, you can do this. And I was like, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm letting you down, but I don't think I can do this. And they were like, no, no, you can do this. And so I took a year before I applied and I actually stayed working in that same lab doing research. And then they really encouraged me. And I said, what schools do I apply to? What do I do? And bless their hearts, they said, look at the best schools online. Like there's a list of them. Apply to those. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> but I did anyway. And I looked at, you know, places where I wanted to live and programs that I was interested in with like multiple faculty that I would want to work with. And then I applied and I got interviews. And, you know, for most of the interviews, they fly you out for three days or so. And you interact with all the students and the faculty and you have interviews with the, with the faculty. And then you know, sometime later, they tell you whether or not you got accepted. And so I was deciding between a couple of schools and Berkeley just really felt like the most supportive community in the place where I fit the best. And there was some amazing science happening there, as there were at the other schools. But there was just something that clicked. And again, being from the mountains, it was the most like outdoorsy place that I could be and still be in a city that has what I'm looking for with a, a big institution where I can do you know, some of the more cutting edge science that I wanted to be doing. I want to ask, I want to go back to that uh, experience in Sweden, mm -hmm. um, because that taught you what you were looking for. Can you be specific? Yeah, so the lab that I was in at Colorado College was all undergraduates. So very quickly, I was the person in the lab that knew the most, and I was doing whatever I wanted to be doing, and I had a lot of interactions with my um, with my PIs, my private uh, principal investigators of, of the lab that I was working in, and I, I got to own a lot of, of what I was doing, and I, was, I had a lot of support. And then I went to this bigger institution, and there were postdocs and graduate students, and I was just like this lowly person that no one really knew about, and I was just doing little work and it just felt very disconnected. And of course, it was it was a different experience. Um, but there was also just logistics of the lab that it wasn't very much of a community. There wasn't a lot that the PI directed or like directly interacted with the people. There was some some other stuff that happened there that just personally, I didn't connect with the people in a good way. There was some other stuff. And so it's like, okay, it's really, really important to have a good connection with the person that I will be working with for five years over a time that is really quite stressful and very difficult. And so knowing that going into my, my PhD, when it really matters who, who my boss is and what kind of support I get from them, that was something that I learned from that experience. And then I'm going to segue just a little bit and say, as a young woman working in the sciences now, um, do you, this has been an issue for generations, but you're a beginner. How How is being a woman uh, working for you? It's really interesting because in middle school and high school and even college, all of the biology classes that I was in were dominated by females, all of them, and they were almost always taught by females. Hmm. And so everyone was telling me, you know, this isn't a field for you. This isn't a field for you. And I was like, but it is. Look, these are my people. I'm here. I feel good here. I feel, you know, heard. And then I got to Berkeley 
and there are you know 14 people in my program each year and three of them were women this is weird now (laughs) now this is weird and these men were coming in and they were all cocky and so proud of themselves and so sure of themselves and I was like oh no oh I don't belong here a little bit of imposter syndrome sneaking in but then I realized no I belong here this is good I know things (laughs) I deserve to be here I can you know I can keep up with these guys I can you know I can do better than these guys in some ways and so it took a long time to to kind of sink in that I do feel a little bit out of place now but all of my mentors up to this point pretty much have been females and they are very, very supportive and very helpful and they advocate for us a lot, which really helps even though I didn't realize how much it mattered. Um, and there are, there are still times where, you know, I go to these conferences that have been established for decades and the main people that make up the field that this conference is based around are all old men <laughs> and it's uncomfortable but I see that it's changing. And like my, my boss right now is a really, really strong woman. And that's really nice to know. She is developing the field that I am in and that we're moving into. So it's good. With me today also is Claire Yu, who is a physics professor at the University of California at Irvine. And she is uh, going to introduce herself and then do a little interview of Caroline. Thanks, Patty. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always wonderful to be in Aspen. I'm a theoretical physicist, and I study uh, both condensed matter physics and biophysics. So I work on glasses at low temperature, noise in superconducting qubits on the condensed matter side, but it, in biophysics, we're studying cancer at the moment um, and how the immune cells interact with tumors. But we also looked at um, transportation systems inside the cell. And um, of course, viruses are very important right now with COVID coming on. And so I'm really interested in hearing about what you're working on, Caroline. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your research. Yeah, thank you. Um, so in Kim Seed's lab, we study this really interesting virus of um, a bacterium. So viruses of bacteria are called bacteriophages or just phages. And so this phage is really interesting because it is able to... Wait, wait. Let's back up a minute. Why don't you explain what's the difference between a bacteria and a virus? Because we all have heard about COVID as a virus but we just know them all as germs. So maybe you can step back and just say what the difference is. Yes, so a bacterium is able to replicate on its own. And so it's an autonomous entity. So usually these grow and then divide by basically splitting itself into two. So it's a cell. So it's a cell, exactly. And a virus is dependent on another organism for its replication. So although it has many of the things that it needs to grow, I guess you could consider it, and make more of itself, it can't do that in the absence of a host. And so in this case, a virus like COVID, um, SARS-CoV-2, which is the cause of COVID, needs a human host in order to do that. And one of the main machines that is provided is the machine that takes RNA and makes protein. 
So a virus is basically just a little piece of RNA or DNA, just the recipe for making a protein, and it's coated with some proteins, and that's it. So it's not really a whole cell. Exactly. And so unlike um, cells that grow by um, or amplify themselves by growing and dividing, viruses actually go into a cell and take themselves apart into pieces and then reassemble themselves in order to make more progeny. And so they so, commandeer the machinery inside the cell to get the cell to make more viruses. Exactly. So they infect cells. Exactly. And so in the absence of a cell, a virus will never be able to make more virus. It is completely dependent on a host in order to make more of itself. Okay, so you're studying viruses that don't infect humans. They infect bacteria, these mm -hmm. little cells that are bacteria. Yeah, so um, it's actually... A little bit of a complicated system and I'm gonna walk you through it slowly. So first the bacterium that we study infects humans and then it will get ingested and amplify in the gut and so in the water that it can, is contaminated with these bacterium bacteria there are also the viruses and so these get consumed at the same time and then in the gut these uh, viruses are able to attach to the host and infect them and then kill the bacteria. The host so, being the bacteria. The host being the bacteria, yes. And so then the human that is infected gets quite sick and ends up um, expelling these through diarrhea. And so then the cycle continues because the diarrhea goes into the water and the water can be, again, consumed. But now there's but been... wait, is the human getting sick from the bacteria or from the virus? The human is only getting sick from the bacteria because okay. the uh, virus can't do anything to the, to the human host. But to add another layer of complication... There's a virus of the virus that we study. So like other viruses that I already described, it's completely dependent on its host. So now, shifting gears a little bit, the virus of the virus, it's called a satellite, its host is the virus, the bigger virus that comes in. And so this virus, um, the satellite, lives inside of the bacterium and is quiescent or um, uh, not active, yeah, dormant, until infection by the virus. So once the virus is there, then this little satellite virus can recognize that and commandeer the machinery encoded by the virus. And again, all of this is only happening within the bacterium, which again is inside of the human gut. So there are many, many layers <laughs> of this system. Does the virus make the bacteria sick? Does it kill the bacteria? Yeah, so this particular virus is very, very good at killing the bacterium. And so it infects, makes a bunch of itself, and then completely kills the cell. And so... And the cell explodes. The basically. cell explodes. It's a very, like, dramatic <laughs> explosion. You can observe it under a microscope and the cell is there, and then, boop, it's totally gone, obliterated. And it's actually really cool when you grow these in culture... They get really dense when the bacteria um, amplify, and then when you add the cell or the virus, they all die, and it's like there was nothing there. It's totally clear. You can see through the culture completely. It's beautiful, actually. <laughs> um, but one of the interesting things is that the satellite virus, right, so the virus of the virus, inhibits the virus, which then leads to protection of the bacterial population. And so there's this really fine balance between whether or not this virus is helping, if it's hurting, if the virus of the virus is good or if it's bad. And you can change your perspective to each of the different organisms I've talked about, the human, the bacterium, the virus, and the satellite, right, the virus of the virus. And each of them have different 
uh, purposes, basically, and different outcomes for the rest of the population in this little ecosystem that they're living in. So the host, the human, should be rooting for the virus because it destroys a bacteria and then the human won't be so sick. Exactly, exactly. And so there's actually a lot of work in the field, like broadly, of, of phage bac- uh, biology, trying to use phages as treatment, right? So, so phages refer to the virus that's mm-hmm. infecting right. bacteria. So what's the name of your of the virus? Give us the official name of the bacteria, the virus, and the mm-hmm. satellite. So the... Um, the bacterium is called Vibrio cholerae, and it is the causative agent of the disease cholera. The uh, phage, or the virus, is called ICP-1. Um, and then the, the satellite, the virus of the virus, has a really long name. Um, it's a phage-inducible chromosomal island-like element. Therefore, we call it PLE. <laughs> so we have Vibrio cholera, ICP-1, and PLE. So why don't you tell us, just remind us, what is cholera other than a disease? How does it make you sick? Yeah, so the um, bacterium gets into your gut. So it lives in both the aquatic reservoir and in the human intestines. And when it resides inside of you, it can co-opt some of your um, the biology of your gut. And basically, it makes you have um, really dif- uh, like profuse diarrhea. It makes you so you can't absorb all of your nutrients and so it passes through. And this is really good for the bacterium because it amplifies and then it gets sent back into the environment where it can go and be consumed by another human and be amplified and back into the environment. So you get it from dirty water. Yes. So we actually get patient samples from Bangladesh where cholera is endemic. And so we are able to track some of the evolution that happens between Vibrio cholera, ICP-1, and PLE through those patient samples that we end up getting from patients that are um, hospitalized for cholera. And I heard that cholera does what's called quorum sensing. So mm-hmm. the cholera will multiply and not cause diarrhea. And then when there's enough of them, there's a quorum. Then they re- release their toxin that mm-hmm. gives diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some signals that are detected once there's enough of them around. They say, okay, there's enough of us. We can change our behavior collectively and have a different outcome. Mm-hmm. So what question are you trying to answer? What are the, you've told us about the bacteria and mm-hmm. the virus and the satellite. What are you trying to answer? Yeah, so we know that this virus of a virus, plea, is uh, dependent on the virus ICP-1. How all of those dependencies are, are linked and controlled is something that is the main focus of our lab. And so my particular area of research is looking at how uh, PLEA is able to manipulate, after hijacking, the, the proteins that coat the genome of PLEA. And so PLEA is able to spread itself to other cells, like a little virus, by taking the proteins that ICP-1 makes and stealing them and coding its own genome in those proteins and then being able to make this little particle looks just like a virus particle and send it to another cell. But this particle is manipulated to make it a little bit shorter, a little bit rounder, a little bit um, different. And so I'm studying exactly the mechanism that PLE uses to restructure these proteins into a different shape for its own purpose. So how do you think this helps human health or the bigger picture, you know, kind of what good is this if you answer it? Um, So first, what I was um, alluding to a little bit earlier is that since phages, if you consume them, aren't going to hurt you, but just the bacteria that they infect, a lot of people are using phages as therapy for 
bacterial infections. And this is, this is great. However, as we now know, there's this other player here, Plea, that interferes with the, the virus and its normal cycle. And so it's kind of the satellite, the virus of the virus, protects the host cell, the bacterium, from being killed uh, at a population level by the virus. And so by us understanding that this exists, that there's this third player that we need to be worried about and how the dynamics of that change, it's really informative to what the potential outcomes are from phage therapy and how it might not just be as simple as adding a phage to get rid of a bacterium. There might be some more uh, nuances there. And what are those nuances? And how can we understand them enough that we can disrupt them and lead to the outcomes that we want when using phage therapy or some other type of therapy? I also personally find it fascinating to understand how the world works. And as we know, viruses are everywhere and they outnumber us vastly. And there are a lot of them and they are very um, unique and diverse, but they share some characteristics. And how does this virus of a virus emulate things that other viruses have? How is it unique? How could we learn from that? How could we use some of that technology to provide drug delivery or to interfere with other viruses such as SARS-CoV-2? Is there some mechanism where we can mess up assembly and lead to a different outcome such that the virus is inhibited? So there's a lot of potential uh, outcomes, but a lot of it is starting back of just understanding the fundamental biology. So do other viruses have satellites also, or is this unique to your... Yeah, so there are a couple of different systems that have been characterized. Um, there are about four that are really well characterized, but they're starting to be found more and more, and a lot of them share similar strategies, and there are some that are unique. So there are a couple that PLEAD uses that we now know that are completely unique to other satellites, but there are plenty of satellites out in the world. And there are some of human viruses as well. And so this is knowledge that can be translated to other areas as well. Does um, SARS-CoV-2, COVID, do we know of any satellites for it? We don't at this point, but I wouldn't be too surprised if there weren't in a different context, maybe in a different host, some other satellite um, that would exist or some other way that a satellite could evolve to be specific to SARS-CoV-2. So you said sometimes these viruses are used to battle bacteria. Is that actually used in the clinic? Is that FDA approved that there, um, phage therapy? There are a lot of trials and there have been a couple of cases where it has um, it has worked. There have been treatments that have proved really successful. It's very... Um, early stages in that those um, those cases were very, very dire. Every other thing had been tried before phage therapy, but yes, there have been some cases and there's a lot of work currently in the field to try and make that more of, of a common thing. Because you can imagine it's a, an alternative to using antibiotics because the rise of antibiotic resistant bacteria is very, very high right now. So if we could combat them in some other way, we could reduce the amount of antibiotic-resistant bacteria as well as the disease-causing bacteria in a human in that moment. So I guess this whole um, bacteria and virus and satellite is a whole sort of ecosystem. There's a lot of interest now in the gut microbiome, and people are ingesting um, good bacteria, as we've heard about it. If you have good bacteria versus bad bacteria in your gut, would that change the dynamics of this 
interaction between the phage and the bacteria and mm-hmm. the satellite? Yeah, so most viruses are kind of picky about what bac- uh, what bacteria they're going to infect, or you know, viruses are also p- picky about what cell type they'll infect. So they will infect like the cells in your nose, but maybe not the cells on your hand. And so there are different bugs, different bacteria that live in your gut that will be basically preyed on by some of the of the viruses, but not others. And so kind of finding that balance and finding ways to introduce the the viruses that are going to get rid of only the bad ones and protect the good ones is something that um, should, in theory, on paper, be very easy. In reality, is is quite difficult. And there's a lot of unknown residents of the gut that also play different roles. And, you know, there are different environments in there (laughs) than there are on a petri plate or in a flask that are hard to to predict before and to control for so are you going to do this study in vitro or um, in a test tube or petri dish or do you look at mice or in animals i mean where are you studying so i do my work in in vitro so in flasks and on petri plates um but our um the, the lab that my, my uh, boss came from does more work in, in vivo in rabbits and in mice and studying some of those dynamics. Um, but I personally do my stuff in culture, a little bit removed from the, the host environment, but a little bit more easy to control for the, the types of experiments and questions that I'm asking. That's great. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful talking to you and hearing about your research. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Caroline Boyd and Claire Yu from the University of California at Irvine. And of course, Caroline is at the University of California at Berkeley as a doctoral student. So exciting. We're so excited to have her here in the Valley again. Thank you for listening to Radio Physics, um, produced in cooperation with KDNK Radio and available the fourth Tuesday of every month at 4.30.